Hello and welcome to the Midnight Film Review. My name is Brian Stevens, and with me today is a very special guest. This is our annual Top 10 Countdown, and we have a new guest, Dan. He is Real Takes on TikTok and the co-host of Goodwill Podcasting. Dan, welcome. How's it going, Brian? Really excited to be here. Um, We have a lot to get into. It was a good year, so I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I'm super excited to talk to you about movies. I love your TikToks. Um, I truly appreciate what you've done with the, um, with, with the medium and, um, I kind of mentioned this off air, but you really do a great job of um, supporting the community. So thanks for, for doing that. Yeah. And I was saying, I kind of didn't expect, um, the community to be so first of all, large and also just as, um, like welcoming and just mostly kind. Um, it's a really good group of people and like, a very like nice diverse different group of people um everyone's not just like exactly the same so it's been fun to kind of get to know everyone um and i'm excited to keep doing that uh if you don't mind give us your handle and then if you don't care to just uh tell us a little bit about the podcast that you that you're on yeah sure um so i'm real takes uh on tiktok and um do a little bit on instagram trying to build that up a little bit and then um goodwill podcasting my host uh co-host is um Connor, uh, his account is called Movie Shark, um, and basically, I was telling you he had me on as a guest um, a few months ago, and it went really well. Um, and we kind of had you know good chemistry and enjoyed talking, so he invited me to come on as a co-host, um, and I have, and it's been good. We've done I think maybe six or seven episodes so far. We just did one um, yesterday. Oh, great! And yeah, we. Um, talked about poor things and also did our top tens of the year. So that was fun. Um, and I'm looking forward to keeping that, keeping that going. I listened to your David Fincher podcast, uh, just to get an idea. Um, and that, that was, was long, that was a long <laughs> podcast. Yes. And, but it was uh, very interesting and a lot of fun. And I also saw your, uh, TikTok, I think of your David Fincher films that you did a while ago. Yeah. I, um, I really like Fincher. Um, and you know, I, I feel like I don't like some of the stuff that a lot of people do as much, but I just, I appreciate every one of his movies for what it is. I think he's always trying to do something, whether or not that connects with me or not. So um, I like him a lot. And that was a fun episode. We had stone on who was great and it was just, it was very long. There's a lot to get through. Um, There's so much to talk about with every one of his movies. So it's, uh, it's, it's an ordeal. I'm a I'm a Fincher fan. I I know that you don't um not that you don't care for Seven, but it was not your favorite. And Seven to me it was a life changing film. Just so you know, I always talk about this, but I want to just let you hear the story. Um, so you don't have to try to find it in a podcast. When I was in seventh grade, so that I'm 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 in my forties. Uh, Seven uh, had been out for a little while, and we lied to my mom. And uh, a group of us 13-year-olds convinced her to buy us tickets to see Seven in the theater. So me and my group of friends went. One of the friends, super religious family, didn't tell his family where he was going. And so they didn't know where he was at. He was supposed to be at the mall. And they went to pick him up. And he was late. So when we leave the theater, there's two cops waiting for us. Um, my mom was not happy. And I was grounded from the theater for a long time. That's tough, but I mean, at least you got to have the experience because I—that's something that seeing in the theater, seeing that third act like in the theater fresh would have been amazing. And I—that's—I mean, 
my only issue with seven is I feel like I'm always like waiting for the last, yeah, you know, half hour, sure. 45 minutes. And it's like, it doesn't mean the rest of the movie is by any means like I'm not criticizing it. I just feel like that last act is one of the best of all time, but I feel like the rest of it sometimes kind of like melds together in my mind a bit. Sure. Understandable. All right. Uh, some housekeeping real quick before we get into our open discussion. Uh, this podcast is going to be a TV podcast for, I think, the next six weeks. I should have looked it up, but I, I'm not going to. Aaron Wetley, who um, has been on the podcast many times to talk TV, su- Suburban uh, Dad Pop, if you're looking for him on Instagram, we are going to review every episode of True Detective uh, after it comes out. So Mondays and Tuesdays, you can expect a podcast from us where we're going to talk about the previous episode, where we think it's going. Um, really excited to do this. Never done anything like this on this podcast. Um, January is typically a dead time for film. And so I'm going to take advantage of, uh, the new true detective and possibly the last, um, season of true detective. Are you a fan of true detective? To be completely honest with you, I have never watched it and I've been told countless times to do so. Um, but when, when does that start, Brian, and when it's when does it air? Yeah, so it airs uh, on HBO or Max, the one for HBO, uh, Sunday. Uh, so Sunday the 14th is the first episode of this season. Um, and it's okay. it's an anthology series, so you don't need to watch previous uh, right. seasons to, to watch this one. So if you wanted to hop in on this one, uh, you know, it's not going to really affect your viewing at, at all. So, um, yeah. So and this is the third third season, correct? This is the fourth season. Fourth season, Fourth okay. season, yep. Gotcha. Yep. Um, season one is by far the best, best technically written, everything about it. I I like the second season, which starred Vince Vaughn and Colin Farrell um, more than and Rachel McAdams, more than most people. And then the third season I thought was really well done. Didn't really care for how it ended. That was uh, a Mahersha Ali um, was the lead nice. in the third season. We have Jodie Foster in this one. So super excited to see her return to screen. I know you love Contact. I'm a big Contact fan as well. Um mm-hmm. Also, don't forget to email the podcast. <clears throat> you can email us at calledapop.com. That's call with a K. I didn't put out the feelers, so this year, just so you know, we have a correspondent across the pond, Adam Etheridge. He has been with the podcast from the very beginning, our number one fan, and every year he gives us his list of top <laughs> – it's ranged from 200 to 300 movies. Like He always gives us a massive list. This year, um, just the way things happened, I wasn't able to get his list. So, Adam, if you're listening, uh, send your list over, and I promise I will read it on the next episode. Um, and just tell us your thoughts about the episode. Um, and if you have any questions, feel free to write in. All right, that's enough of that. Let's get into our open discussion. So the reason uh, I want to talk about this with you is you put out a really awesome TikTok about Star Wars. And... Um, if you haven't seen it, go to TikTok, Real Takes, that's real, R-E-E-L, and check out Dan's video about Star Wars and all the dumb stuff that's surrounding uh, that movie. But also, Disney is just in a weird spot, and I think that uh, maybe you'll agree or disagree, but I think you'll agree that we are going to be in for a huge turn in Disney this year. This seems like the year of transition for Disney. Um We've already seen Mickey Mouse. They've they stopped their battle over uh, rights, and he's now in um, the the common. Yes, yes. And so um, things are changing for for Disney. Um, they had one of the worst years ever across the board this past year, um, and not just yeah. box office, but also I believe quality. Um, and 
Uh, I think fans are starting to just get tired of the same old shtick. Um, and so I sent you some articles. We don't have to necessarily pick apart those articles, just kind of give us a base to talk about things. But what do you see uh, the future uh, of Disney? What can they do to change this massive um, sinking ship? Uh, is it really sinking? And do you um, are there things that you want to see versus things that you think will happen? So I guess maybe to just simplify a little bit, just to kind of make it more manageable to talk about, I guess if I start with um, with Marvel and Star Wars, because I think Absolutely. those are two areas where there was, it's it's free. It, it should be free money. You should be printing money when you're making those projects. Um, the audience is or was pretty ravenous, I think, for pretty much anything that came out. Um, and it's it's strange because I think similar things have happened to both. And it makes me wonder whether there are individuals noticing trends and um, kind of pointing these things out and saying, like, this is where we're going wrong. And I don't necessarily think that's the case because I honestly see Star Wars just moving in a very similar direction. And with the video, I was kind of talking to I me, mean, I like you only get a little bit of time, so I couldn't really dive into things the way I wanted to. But I think what Star Wars is doing right now is there's no confidence at all in a plan. So they say, okay, we're going to make one movie um, way back, way back in time, Dawn of the Jedi. Look at that. We're going to make one movie uh, moving forward with Ray's story. Um, we're going to make the... Um, like there, there's there's a few other there's a Mandalorian uh, and Grogu movie now which is going to be happening which I think there's like a wide range of outcomes there for how that goes but um, and then I think there's one or two other movies also in the works and it feels like they're just trying to feel out like okay how does this perform how does this perform what do people want our next move to be rather than we're going into, you know, way into the future. We're starting a new trilogy, new characters. We're going for this or same thing in the past, like carve out a new, like cohesive, strong plan and move forward. And if it is bad, it's bad. But like, it just feels so like, just, I don't feel confident in their plan. Um, and I think, and with all the TV shows and everything too, I think you run the risk of oversaturation the same way that I feel Marvel did. And Marvel went that way because of, I think, all the TV shows that became so crucial to even understanding what was happening in the movies. And it used to be like the movies were spaced out well, anticipation built like from movie to movie. Um, and now it's like everything is so jammed together and you might have had to see, you know, an episode, a season of a mediocre show to understand a character in the movie or um, to understand how a storyline is progressing. And it's just like, it's become less simple and it's also become less exciting because um, it's just feels so much more congested and it's not congested with high quality stuff. It's congested with um, poor to um, average stuff, I think. And I see Star Wars doing the same thing. And it's like really frustrating because you have like so many great stories, characters, um, you know, so much great potential. And it's like it gets thrown like thrown away. And I think just for, to give one example quickly about 
Star Wars. Like I know they were talking in previous, like way back about. Um, uh, I think it was Guillermo del Toro was supposed to be making like a, um, Job of the Hut movie. Mm-hmm. I don't remember the director, but like a like they said it was like a Godfather style Hut movie. Yeah. Like make, do something like that. Like make something weird. Like go tell something a different story from like, you know, a different corner of the galaxy we haven't seen and like. Marvel's the same way. Like, I think you look at some of their biggest successes, it's when they step outside of their comfort zone. They're rocking with characters that, like, weren't necessarily household names. I mean, that's what the Avengers was when it happened. Yeah. It was like, yeah. I mean, the Ultimate comic was just happening, and, like, that was kind of pushing forward those characters. But, like, Iron Man wasn't... He was, like, a, a B-list character. Um, and they took a chance and made that movie. Even Guardians, like, no one knew who, who they were when they right. made that movie, but... It, it made a good movie with a director that they let direct and they didn't tell him what to do and you didn't have to cram it into a universe like you know that specifically it was just like make a good movie and then as you stack up good movies you have a universe and that's yeah. like so all in all just i see the same things happening and i feel um frustrated about that i think um i think i mean obviously you're making salient points here and i i think that you point out um this is a problem that we've seen other studios make all the time, right? I mean, if you just look at some, you know, for instance, um, the Batman franchise post-Batman Returns, it was, we have to get a movie out, we have to make it bigger and more um, bodacious and and um, push the limits, And it, but it's kind of the opposite for Disney, right? Because they are doing they're not doing the the weird stuff that that DC or Warner did or even if you look into um um you know what Lucasfilm did with with the the prequels right they are trying to go down this super safe route and it's weird because i think personally that some of the and I don't want to take this in a political direction, but some of the social justice stuff that kind of gets thrown at them, like this new new director, I feel like they want this because it's free, um, it's free media for them, and it, it stirs up this crowd. But it doesn't result in views. And nobody. And here's the thing: even those people who are keyboard warriors and who really try to pretend like they care about this stuff, if the quality is there, if it's good and entertaining people are still going to watch it, right? Because we have no backbone, right? That's just the truth, especially when it comes to these type of movies, Star Wars in particular. If the quality is good and people really, really enjoy the story that you're telling, then this other stuff doesn't doesn't matter. Um, I mean, controversies aside, uh, I think that Disney's always been one to um, just use certain types of media, certain types of news for free. Um, they, I mean, they notoriously abused the LA times, right? They would like literally abuse them into being like their own puppet. Um, they've lost some of that clout because they've underperformed. Right. So this, I think, um, it, I, that's why Bob Iger came back. That's why, you know, he came out of retirement. I don't know that a lot of this has to do necessarily with, um, leadership, in uh, from uh that high up i think it has to do and you mentioned it letting creators create um and this has been a problem brewing for a while everyone remembers the first ant-man was an Edgar wright film but disney got so involved that he left um 
and they had to have someone step in and nobody again i'm not i don't i'm not going to throw shade at any of the directors that they are they are choosing for these films but they are choosing some very inexperienced directors to kind of helm some of these projects because these people who have big names like del toro like edgar wright like ryan johnson even benioff and weiss are no longer attached to that star wars movie they moved to netflix to get their own deal and it's because if you go to someone like disney and they don't give you the freedom to execute um then what are you gonna do so they've had all this massive control from a i would say from a mid leadership level that's completely failed it's completely failed in my opinion why it worked with avengers for all the faults of josh whedon that man knows how to tell a story um i'm a huge buff of the vampire slayer the fan I, actually all of whedon tv i think is just expert storytelling and he has his hand he had his hand in all of those movies in some way or another to help mold that avengers tale that phase one and phase two I don't feel like they've had that. I think Kevin Feige, um, a lot of his faults were kind of covered up by Whedon. That's kind of where I'm at. Yeah, and another, I, th- I think that's all spot on. And I think it's, I fully agree in terms of what you're saying in terms of like the leadership, because I like when you have, I think they're bringing in directors that they can just tell what to either tell what to do yeah. or like they're just directing the movie behind the scenes and like you saw that with the marvels like yep nia da costa basically came out and said like i didn't direct that movie <laughs> like yeah that's kevin Feige's movie and like it, you know i think she's a decent director but like and the more you do that to people the more people are going to learn and the more they'll talk to each other and say no you don't want to go do that movie like you might think it's fun and exciting and make mm-hmm. money but like it's not if you have any respect in terms of your own creativity and like as an artist, like you're not, that's not what you want to spend a, whatever, however much time of your life making um, when you can be doing something else that will actually be um, satisfying and like actually be your project, whether that ends up good or bad, I'd rather have, I'd rather make a bad, you know, if I'm a director, I'd rather make a bad movie that I wanted to make that I, it was my bad movie. than have a bad movie that my name is on, but someone else was calling the shots. Um, So, and I think, you know, like I think Kathleen Kennedy failed Star Wars, just like five years failing the MCU. Um, And when you have bad leadership, that's what you get. And I think, like you said, like it used used to, there used to be a sense of like um, (coughs) individuality around the mcu like every movie felt not miles differently but it felt unique it felt like there was a a human being directing it and making like (coughs) excuse me and like making decisions and with a unique style and now it's like everything feels the same and like that is just so that's what makes it boring that's what takes Mm -hmm. away the excitement um (coughs) big sip of water sorry you you know and just to piggyback off what you're saying, um, I I think like when you look at what was so exciting about those um, directors that were chosen in the beginning, or like just take for instance Guardians of the Galaxy. <clears throat> James Gunn came from the the trauma, the uh, indie 
small horror film background. But he knew that he was going to be able to do visually anything that he wanted, right? Because the money was there. It What mattered was the story, right? And I think that a lot of what we've seen is just a loss of storytelling. I don't think that the, the, the people who are involved in these, uh, creating these, is the story. Because the Marvels was... A perfectly fine film right it wasn't good it wasn't bad it was just fine and but there was so much meat on that story that was just left there right it, it, like that could have i mean you had some really interesting stuff that you could have told but they wanted to I, I i'm guessing they just cut a lot of stuff out of that script before it was even produced and then once it got to screen it got even cut even further um because there are cuts in that movie where you feel like there was something missing. Um, there are scenes where you're like, there was definitely build up to this. And a lot of it, it was just a lot of quick cuts, a lot of fast pace and a lot of weird humor. Right. A lot. I mean, not weird in terms of like, I'm just saying like, it just maybe didn't fit completely. Um, and so it was like jamming puzzle pieces together that did, that were missing one in between is the way that I felt that movie. And I feel like that kind of is what we're seeing Going, I, I just believe that's going to it's going to happen with Star Wars, and um, real quick, and then you can um, have some last words, and we can move on. But I really feel this way about Pixar. They they're laying off a bunch of people at Pixar. Um, Pixar was it was much we talk about cash cows. Critically, very few films were 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 flops. Uh, they have struggled to produce. Because, in my opinion, they have not put enough focus on Pixar, right? They're cutting all these jobs now, and they have one film. They had what? Elemental was Elemental the only film that came out, a Pixar movie that came out this year. I think so. Yeah, yeah. Which was a decent movie. I liked it. It had a pretty long, sustained uh, run at the box office. It ended up making money for them. And next year, Inside Out is the only film that they have, and then Elio the, the year after. Uh, what they've done to Pixar is, in my opinion, embarrassing. Yeah, yeah, and um, so twenty twenty two was Turning Red and Lightyear, um, and Elemental mm-hmm. was the only one, and then yeah, like you said, Inside Out next year, which Inside Out will print money, should um, unless it's somehow terrible. But um, and I don't even, I honestly, I don't even love the first Inside Out. I think I don't like it as much as many a lot of people do. Um, but that's I mean, that's a whole other story. But basically, yeah, to kind of sum up everything with Disney, um, it's a shame. And to quickly kind of touch, like, I don't think the Marvel, like the Marvels wasn't, like you said, it wasn't a terrible movie. There was, I think there was interesting stuff <coughs> in moments. Like, the stuff with, um, like, Captain Marvel having to kind of come to terms with the fact that, like, as a hero, she couldn't always save everyone. And, like, passing that in, along to Miss um, Marvel, like, that was, like, a good moment. And, like, but then it's just, like, you snap your fingers and it's gone and you're on to the next mm-hmm. dumbass yeah. scene. And it's, like, there was something real happening. Like, everything doesn't have to be, like, goofy and, like, feels like it's for kids. And, like, there <laughs> right. can be, you know, something in between. You don't have to – it doesn't have to be, like, also, you know, Edge Lord 9000, like, <laughs> darkest shit in the world. Yeah. But, like, there's a middle ground, like, that – everyone likes and that's like look at guardians 3 like there's it's a great movie in my opinion (coughs) um and some of that stuff's really dark and like serious but 
then there's like goofy fun stuff too and they, like you the characters feel like real people and like the dialogue feels somewhat normal like it's just when i was just watching i was trying to watch the echo show mm-hmm. I'm like halfway done and i was literally trying to sit here and think okay like what what is actually going on here like what am i looking at what about it is like makes me feel the way i feel and like the only th- the thing I came up with is like everything feels kind of forced, like the dialogue feels forced, like the way music, like music gets used really poorly and just like slapped over scenes like so badly and it's terrible and like, it's like it's trying to make you feel this or that and it's like everything nothing about that show to me feels really natural, and it's so hard to describe that feeling but like that is what it feels like to me. Um, I don't know what that says or how to fix that exactly, but it just feels like, like fake and forced. And like, that's just kind of my takeaway from watching a bit of the echo show so far. Yeah. Uh, to, to close out my thoughts, I think, um, I think, I think we might see, um, we might see Feige and Kennedy acts this year. I really truly believe that. I mean, I'm not predicting that. Um, I don't want to see anybody lose their job, but I think yeah. that um, we might see some sort of of change in that. Um, I I floated this, not that anybody you know, unless somebody from Marvel, one of the three hundred people that listen to this is from Marvel. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Rob Thomas, not uh, that Rob Thomas, but the Rob Thomas from iZombie and Veronica Mars, I think would be a fantastic uh, writer in addition um, in a Josh Whedon type role. He gets story. He gets the nuance of between humor and drama. Um, I think he would be just um, a marvelous addition to that writing team and and someone to kind of um, head coach uh, Marvel or Star Wars into the future. So um, Rob Thomas, um, not that not matchbox 20 Rob Thomas. Um, All right. I think that's going to do it for open discussion. Stay with Mm -hmm. us. We are going to review our top 10, not review, but we're going to give you our top 10 list of our favorite best. I don't know how you do your list, uh, but we'll, we'll discuss that in a minute. All right, Dan, I'm going to make a bold statement here and um, you tell me if I'm right. Tell me if I'm wrong. But in my opinion, this year was not obviously the box office was down. That wasn't a great year for studios. But in terms of quality and good movies, this is the best year since COVID, post COVID, uh, in quality um, that we've had. Like uh, by far, in my opinion, the since COVID, best year of quality in, in terms of films. Yeah, I would agree. Um, and I think you saw, like, I think Barbenheimer kind of coming in the middle of the year um, really was kind of a shot in the arm to the end, obviously, financially to the industry, duh. But um, just in terms of excitement as well, and in terms of people being like, okay, like, yeah, movies are a thing. Like, going to the movie theater is a thing. Like, this is fun. Um, there's, like, shared excitement. Like, there's, you know, stuff to look forward to. And I think you saw as the year went on, like a lot of good movies came out and I think got a good amount of buzz. Um, and I think it kind of built throughout the year. And I think some of the solid stuff from earlier in the year 
got kind of missed a little bit and got kind of forgotten about. Um, but I feel like right now stuff's in a pretty good place going into 2024, especially with all of the great stuff that came out right at the end of the year. So I'm, I'm excited. Yeah, same, same. All right, so let's talk honorable mention before we hop in. Um, I'm going to let you give your honorable mentions, and then I'll do mine, and then we'll get into our list. Okay, great. Um, I would say a few honorable mentions. One, uh, John Wick Chapter 4, um, I loved. I It was my favorite in the series um, so far. Mm. I think it was just, just a little bit better than the first one for me personally. Um, I really blew me away. And that was one that, you know, came earlier in the year. So I think for me personally, I definitely feel like recency bias plays into my list. Um, but I loved it. I thought the action was, um, incredible. And you, there's like a lot of action now just feels so generic and bland and just like you, you watch something and you're like, I've seen this over and over again. And they are four movies deep into that series and still able to produce, something great and something that's exciting so i i love i love keanu reeves as a as a man and as an actor um so so much respect for that series um john wick chapter four um i would say barbie is somewhere in my 11 to 15 um from a first of all i'd say from like a production visual standpoint it was insane um it was a lot of fun um and I think, obviously, a lot of the focus was on the messaging uh, and the story. I think it got very much blown out of proportion in terms of, like, what it was actually saying. Because I think a lot of the messaging there was just kind of about, like, person to person, just, like, kind of being kind. Mm. Whether that be man to man, man to woman, woman to man, woman to woman. Like, just be kind mm. to each other and be normal like i didn't think there was any kind of crazy stuff being going on and like if you think that's bad like go watch like <laughs> women talking or something like that and like you'll see a movie that like actually is criticizing men and like you know has something with some bite um so yeah i think that was a lot of fun um <clears throat> i would say those two are just outside um of my top 10 and it's another it's another one i think doesn't get talked about that much but i really like the covenant um mm. i like Daiichi. i think the first 45 minutes to an hour or so of that movie i was really almost disinterested um i thought a lot of it i didn't think jake was doing a great job i think a lot of it felt a little um generic and just kind of bland but when it really boiled down to just the two of them um and you got into the story i think it was incredible and i think i love when directors find stories of people or just um themes or you know something that happened in history or something like that that isn't talked about enough mm. and focused on it so yeah. like the importance of interpreters whether it be in iraq afghanistan like those people and like the amount of sacrifice they were making and like the risks they were taking and just doing what they were doing. Cause they thought, you know, they thought mm -hmm. they were doing the right thing. Um, and you know, regardless of your opinions on the war, like those people were heroes just as much as the guys that were over there. Um, so I just liked the way they told that story. So I would say that was sneaking around my, uh, honorable mentions as well. I have three films that I would, um, I'm going to put, um, on that, but, 
you mentioned one of them, Barbie. It was on my top ten for most of the year until it slowly got pushed out by other films as I started to see movies. Um, just, in my opinion, I, I, everything you say I agree with. I think, again, our society, our media, we blow things out because if we're not fighting with each other, we can't be happy. <laughs> it's just the way it is. Um, uh, but Was Afraid is a film that um, I was super looking forward to. It didn't quite meet my top ten because of that middle part of the film where we get into the woods. It, I just, I really hated that part of the movie. I felt redundant and, um, yeah, just, it brought it down a little bit for me. Um, but I, overall, I thought the first 45 minutes of that movie are some of the best I saw all year. Um, and, uh, again, the last act, uh, not the, I guess the Apple, I don't know that movie is so structured so weirdly, um, which is also kind of why it missed my list a little bit too. Um, and then knock at the cabin. I'm a huge M night Shyamalan fan. Um, you might've seen him around town. Uh, I don't know, but, uh, I, I love M night Shyamalan and I will give him a pass for a lot of things, but I truly think this is one of the better films he's made in a, in a, in a while. Um, that was truly his, um, he's made a lot of films. He's directed films that weren't his. Um, and I feel like that's caused him issues. Um, I, it's funny because I mentioned off air to you, like I love writing. He has some terrible scripts and he's not a great writer, but I think visually he is, um, he tells a story visually better than most people, and I love the way he touches on religion. I'm a religious person, and but I think sometimes he exposes hypocrisy, um, and I always like when people hold up a mirror to me because I want to learn and grow as a human, and I think he's really, really good at that, and uh, Knock the Cabin, I think, is just a beautiful film. Um, so that's my honorable mentions. Any thoughts on those? Um, to be honest, I have not yet watched Bo is Afraid, which surprises me myself i don't know how that's possible but i mean to watch mean to watch it um it's I'm commitment laid up for, yeah it is um but i'm laid up for a while so i plan on watching it um barbie you know we talked about knock at the cabin i liked it more i'm i'm not i'm a fan of like way back m night um <laughs> yeah a lot of his stuff recently, except for The Visit. I really like The Visit. Yeah. Um, I haven't liked that much. I think Knock at the Cabin I like more than most of what he's done in you know, 10, 15 years. Um, but I think I think it kind of ended, and I was kind of like, okay. Um, and just kind of trying to struggle with like the takeaway and like the, the impact. I think if Dave Bautista was not in that movie, I don't know how strong it would have been. Mm. Um, I feel like he was really commanding and really like a presence. Um, I did like, you know, the story with the two guys and their kid. I liked them, but like, I don't know. I just, it kind of ended and I was just kind of like, all right, I don't know that I'm going to go back to this. Um, but yeah, I think those are all, those are great choices. Um, and if I, I will say I watched, I watched Rylane. Um, mm, okay. that would have been my number 10 if I had seen it before I made my list. I really liked it. This might be disappointing to you, and it's on your list, and I should have mentioned it because um, it's not on my list. Um, for some reason, I didn't put it in my honorable mentions, but it should be. And we'll talk about it more when we get there, but Oppenheimer was just missed my list as well. Wow, okay. Um, uh, yeah, so we'll talk about that when we get there. But let's start out. Number 10 on your list. Go. Um, yeah, so number 10 um, 
on my list was Dream Scenario with Nick Cage. Um, I am a massive, massive fan of Nick. Uh, I've seen way too many of his movies, um, even some really, really bad ones. But I just... Something about him, I think, no matter what he's in, even in the period of time where, you know, he was broke and he was just making whatever to try to, like, you know, get his life back together, like, he never really phoned it in like he's mm. always trying to do something i've listened i've like read a lot of um read a lot about him <laughs> and read a lot of um you know just the way he speaks about things like he's intentional like he always has a plan he's always researching his roles um yeah he knows a lot about the history of film and actors and directors um i just have you know he's obviously a, a weird guy i don't know about his, him personally but like <laughs> I do like him. Um, he's an interesting guy. And yeah, so I've always liked his stuff. But Dream Scenario to me was... Um, Not to cut you off, but real quick, I should have did this better. Dream Scenario is on my list. So okay. um, one thing that we, we're going to do is we're going to... If it's on uh, our list entire lower, we'll just wait and table it to talk about it. Uh, later on and I should have probably might be, I like the surprise of surprising my guests with my list yeah. so yeah. you don't know my list I know your list so I should have yeah. prefaced this but I don't want to spoil I your list it. at all um, so Dream Scenario is on my list and it's further up okay. so um, if you don't mind we can just table um, your thoughts on that until we get get to it further up the list does that sound good? that's good yep um, alright so we'll go so number 10 is Dream Scenario for you number 10 for me is No One Will Save You um, by Brian Duffield. Did you see No One Will Save You? I did not. I almost watched it last night. Mm. Funny enough. Okay. I did not, um, did not watch it. So this is one thing I always do for my list. Um, I'm not saying this is like my 10th favorite or even the 10th best. I always put a film that I feel like is underseen, uh, but a movie that I really liked and I give a high rating to and I enjoy that I feel like everyone should at least um, give it a chance at number 10. It just preserves us a spot for movies that don't get a lot of love throughout the year uh maybe go go unseen this was i think was it on hulu i think um it was definitely streaming i think it was on hulu but um this movie i absolutely loved i felt like it was unique and the direction i think for the budget was spectacular uh Caitlin Deaver to me is going to be a superstar. She's going to be in the new last of us season two. Um, and I'm just looking forward to her. I'm a huge justified fan. She was fantastic on that show. Um, she, everything, I feel like everything she's in, she's really good. This is very physical role. There's no dialogue. That's not a spoiler. There's no dialogue. This is uh, so a lot of it is built on her facial expressions. And to me, she does just a marvelous job with that. There are some, questionable choices i think in terms of narrative throughout the film uh and i there are some probably some confusion about um the themes of the film but to me it's a movie about forgiving yourself um letting go of grief and those are things that i can relate to and i just i i thought this was a really really beautiful film um and some really good sci-fi all right number nine on your list uh so at number nine on my list and this is something I've been kind of not kicking myself about, but pondering uh, is May, December. Again, um, this is on my list as well, further up the list. So um, <laughs> we'll get into it. Um, yeah. yeah. So we, we will get into it. Um, do you want me to just send you my list real fast? To, would, it be, um, would it help you? No, I think it's okay. Okay. We're good. Okay. Yeah. Um, 
so May, December is number uh, nine on your list. And I think, well, I know for a fact, number nine on my list is on your list as well. That is Anatomy of a Fall. Um, so okay. we will talk about that in a little bit. So that's number nine. So uh, what is your number eight? My number eight pick um, is They Clone Tyrone. So another oh, Netflix. Yes. yes, I was really happy to see this on your list. It's not on my list. Uh, I'm okay. anxious to hear you really, really talk about this. Yeah, so I will start out by saying, and we talked a bit about, um, you know, Disney and Star Wars and stuff earlier. One of the biggest problems I have with Star Wars is the way they wasted John Boyega because uh, that dude is great. And it's nice to see him in a role that is not Disney-fied, where he's allowed to actually act. Um, he's alongside um, Teona, Teona Paris and Jamie Foxx. Um, and I didn't really know what to expect. I When I watched this first, I kind of went into it fairly blind. I think that's a good way to go into it. But it ends up being... Um, you know, really fun, unique sci-fi, but also has a whole lot to say um, about not just people, you know, people in general, but also like the African-American community, um, stereotyping, um, people kind of behaving, and this is this applies to everyone, people kind of behaving in a way that they feel they're supposed to behave um, and ended up ending up getting stuck in like negative cycles um and that can you you know that can apply to any facet of your life um but i think it's just kind of a movie about like realizing those things no and um sorry brian uh and coming to terms with them um and then figuring out kind of how to um you know create change and inside of that though is like a really fun innovative sci-fi story um, it's on Netflix. I would say to anyone, um, go check it out if you haven't, because I think it's one. I think it came out right when Barbenheimer happened, and yeah. it kind of just like out. So um, that's a shame, but um, you know, definitely still go watch it if you can. I really enjoyed the Clone Tyrone. I honestly, where the film kind of um, fell apart for me was that third act, um, and I just, I, I don't like. I feel like to me it was one of those movies that um, had really nailed it for two thirds of the film. Like really nailed it. I super enjoyed living in that world. I love how it um, developed its characters. I, I thought, and again, you, John Boyega, you're, you couldn't be more correct. That dude is talented. Attack the block is one of my all time uh, favorites. And I just think that he has been let down by Hollywood. Um, in particular Disney. Um, but he really does get to showcase his acting chops. Um, but I just felt like, the, uh, I don't, I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but there is a turn in the movie and I just felt like it was kind of clunky. Um, and, uh, I just don't feel like it followed through completely, but it is, I mean, I think I give it a seven and a half out of 10. I think it's a good movie and definitely worth a watch. And I think Jewel Taylor is someone who has a lot of talent and hopefully we see, see more of him for sure yeah and i also think just like very very funny and sharp yeah i love the dialogue is like and that's so many like especially like sometimes netflix movies like we were just talking about disney like the dialogue is so bad so bad so frequently and like just seeing like and that's you know that's a lot of the reason behind my number one it's dialogue based like i like that 
Um, it helps me stay engaged. So um, I love the dialogue in They Clone Tyrone as well. Yeah, and I, I think, honestly, with the exception of some parts of that third act, I think it's one of the better scripts of the year, to, just to be honest. I think it's it's the yep. writing is outstanding. Um, and it's unique. We need more films that are unique. It, it pays homage to some of the things that came before it, but it is a, a unique film, I think. Yeah. Um, all right. So that was number eight on your list, correct? Um, yes. Number eight on my list is on your list. That's Poor Things. Uh, we will talk about that in a little bit. So what is your number seven film? My number seven um, is Infinity Pool. Um, Brandon Cronenberg. Uh, this is one that I think maybe i guess the most divisive pick on my list and one that would have some people scratching their heads um i'm also like i'm admittedly horror is an area that i'm like weak i have not seen enough um a lot of it i struggle to get through a lot of the time um (laughs) but i think i expected going into it i i i try not to hear i had tried not to hear too much about it going in i tried to go in relatively blind um i expected it to be kind of disturbing and like really out there but that's about all i knew um and i think the story ended up having a lot more nuance than i kind of expected um and i think cronenberg ends up saying a lot about himself and critiquing himself um in terms of his nepotism um in terms of his privilege like i think in the same way where, and this is another movie that would be just outside my top 10, is was The Killer. Um, and if I showed that to one of my friends who is not familiar with, like, Fincher and, you know, um, just they think they're watching just a regular, uh, like, Hitman movie, they might not appreciate it. But I think Fincher was doing the same thing in terms of, like, nearly mocking himself and his fans and his process and, like, just that self-aware um self-awareness i find really enjoyable so i think i liked infinity pool for kind of a lot of the same reasons and um i think just a lot of the messaging kind of ended up resonating with me i think a lot of people don't necessarily think it had much to say but um i did and i i liked it a lot more than i think i thought i would i i did not care for it i mean i uh i think possessor is uh, almost a classic. So I think Brandon Cronenberg is very talented. Um, I just felt that the movie, um, it lacked, uh, it lacked conviction in kind of what it's saying at times. Um, uh, one thing that really bothered me though was, <laughs> and maybe this is just me, but I felt like it was a huge plot hole that this, <laughs> that this, this device or this, uh, whatever the infinity pool is exists and this is how it was being used like I don't know it just felt really um, I don't know it, you're in this poor country and they have this thing that could just literally make this country the most powerful country on earth uh, uh, possibly and it just I don't know I don't feel like it explored that mechanism enough and so um, that could be partially on me because I don't think that's what he was looking to do um, but I just felt like the setup and execution just wasn't it, – it, it wasn't what I necessarily would have wanted from that film. But, again, that's maybe on me. Um, and it's funny, it's funny you say that because I think that's interesting. And I think maybe you could say <clears throat> in a similar way to um, a lot of countries where there's, like, an obscene amount of wealth 
what does a lot of that wealth actually go to? Does it go to benefiting the country or benefiting the people or improving quality of life? Or does it go to just kind of maintaining the status quo um, and helping the people at the top stay there? Um, So I think that's like, but I do like get completely what you're saying. And I do understand that. I think it was, you know, one of those things where you probably would want us to think about it less, think about that aspect of it less and just kind of take it at face value. But I struggle through that all the time with movies. So I totally get that. Um, I, I know that, like you said, it's a divisive film. So there are people that are firmly in your camp. That's for sure. Uh, the killer is number seven on my list. You mentioned it in your review of infinity pool. That's good synergy there. Um, the killer, I'm a, I'm a David Fincher stand outside of mank. I'm not a fan of mank, uh, for several reasons, but, um, this movie felt like a return to form in my opinion for him. Uh, I, like you mentioned, this being very um, self-reflective of who Fincher is and, and what he's done, and maybe coming off of Mank, this is why he made this film, because Mank was such a film that nobody really expected him to make, and it wasn't really, I don't think, what a lot of his hardcore fans wanted. And so he was kind of, like you said, poking fun at his audience while uh, or his fans at the same time of poking fun of himself. But I also think that there are some bits of truth here in uh, about being a clinician, being someone who... Um, is very difficult at times to work with, um, but also unknowingly sloppy. I think about um, this in, in terms of myself. It's like something that I feel like I'm really good at, but at times you let things go, and maybe you're not as good as at it as you once were because you tend to um, overlook things that you maybe wouldn't have in the past. And you see this with the, in The Killer, the very first... Um, I mean, the movie is based on him making a, a huge mistake, Um and by all intents and purposes, there's nothing to make us believe that he's ever made this big of a mistake before, right? So um, I think that uh, there are um, other things in the movie. Obviously, I felt like the action was great. You mentioned dialogue. Um, there's a scene with him and uh, Tilda Swinton that is just beautiful. I mean, uh, it's just Tilda Swinton monologuing um, and one of my favorite scenes of the year. Uh, yeah, just to me, this is classic Fincher. Uh it's not the best. It's not nearly uh, the worst. It's somewhere in the middle, but it was good enough to make my top uh, 10 this year. The killer. Did you see the failed hit as kind of a stand in for Mank? I did. And that's kind of why I said that I, I felt like this kind of propelled him to make this movie. Yeah. Yeah. And I just, the more I thought, like, I think when I first watched it, I was kind of like, okay, like, I think I expected something more grandiose and like in you know just more but the more i sat and thought about it and i watched it again i was like okay like i think this is very funny in a way um Mm -hmm. and also just a really cool feat from a director so you know i kind of regret not having it on my list but um i think it's really well deserved again this year was full of of hits man i mean it was hard to leave off some movies for sure and having them ranked i mean uh i think I tried to have, you mentioned um, recency bias. I tried as hard as I could to not have recency bias and try to, a lot of time my list, and uh, I get this goes, I don't necessarily put it in order of like what I think is the best film, right? Like the 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 best film in terms of like the, the way that it's crafted, but my enjoyment. And that's why a lot of times films will be on higher than like, We'll we'll talk about Anatomy in the Fall later, but I think that it is a very well made movie, um, and it's definitely better than The Killer in terms of 
of production and creativity and value, but I didn't enjoy it nearly as much as the killer. So that's why yeah. they're on my list that way. All right. Um, we're at six, right? That's where we're at. Six. Is that correct? Yes. All right. Number six on your list. So number six on my list is the holdovers. It's on um, my list. We'll talk about that in a few. Um, so next on my list, number six, um, is to catch a killer. Um, by Damien Zafron. This is a movie that I feel like you talked about Infinity Pool being um, divisive. I think this movie will be highly divisive. Some people will watch it and really enjoy it and understand where I'm coming from, and others will hate this film and be like, why is this on your top 10? Um, Have you heard of this movie? Do you know what it's about? Okay, so it stars Shailene Woodley, Ben Mendelsohn, and Jovan Adepo. Uh, Shailene Woodley is a beat cop who uh, there is a mass shooting. Uh, it's actually a sniper shooting on a, a, a apartment building um, from across the, the city. Um, and she is the first to show up. Ben Middleson is the FBI agent who is put on duty there. He realizes quickly that Shailen Woodley is very talented. And so he brings her on to be his liaison between the Baltimore city police and um, the FBI you find out different things about her. One, she's a recovering addict. She's had severe trauma in her life. This movie is very much a procedural. It is very procedural in how the detective work happens. Um, if you're looking for a thriller in terms of like something like, um, you know, uh, I, this is more in line with the beginning parts of Seven, where there's a lot of detective work happening, a lot of conversations about detective work, a lot of uh, following leads and talking to people. Um, this is that movie. Um, which I love. Ben Middleson is absolutely fantastic, and Shailene Woodley gives one of the better performances of the year. Uh, the probably the, the thing that's going to probably bother most people if they can get if if they don't you know if you don't enjoy a procedural movie. Uh, I compared this, I think, to The Wire. I know it's in Baltimore, but it's very like this is how cop work happens. You know, you're looking at the way somebody walks, and you're looking at this and and that. Um, there is no big twist in terms of the killer. This is, and that's one thing I really loved about it too, is they're not throwing red herrings at you. You're going through interviews. Um, but the ending does have something I feel like kind of political to say. I don't think it says it necessarily, uh, with the conviction that it needs to. And it kind of falters a little bit at the end and is a little over the top. Um, it very melodramatic, I guess at the end is what, is what I would say. Um, but if you love this type of film, I think it's one of the, the the best in the genre that, that we've had in years so it's a crime thriller but it's very methodical uh and it's um more of a character study than anything you know where we can watch it brian um i watched it on prime um it's available to okay. rent everywhere let me see if it's um i think you can yeah you can just oh you can stream it on on hulu it's available on hulu right now gotcha. yeah. okay that's to catch a killer that is my number six. All right, we're into the top five. Your number five film of the year. My number five is um, The Iron Claw. And... <laughs> it's my on my list as well. Oh, great. That's good to hear. Yeah, yeah. We're gonna. I, so we're gonna get into my, my next four films. We're all on your list. Um, after this one, okay. um, my number five is Guardians of the Galaxy, which didn't make your list. Um. I think you mentioned it maybe in honorable mention. At some point you mentioned it being a good movie. So it sounds like you liked it. I, yeah, I loved it. I absolutely love this film. Um, this is 
the first film of the year to make me cry. Um, I was in tears multiple times in this movie. I think, I mean, talking about subverting expectations and doing things in a film that probably no one else would have the balls to do at Marvel, um, you know, not letting um, um, Star-Lord, uh, 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 Pratt's character, I don't, I don't know why his name just escaped Quill. Quill and um, Gamora get together at the end. Just, I mean, just the writing is so good, not to mention um, the themes. And I think that all, I'm a big character guy. I feel like every character in this film stays true to who they are, and the arcs are just excellent. This is how you end a trilogy. It's very rare that the third, in my opinion, is um, almost better than anything else in the trilogy. I love the first one. Second one was okay. The third one is, it's either on par or better than the first one, in my opinion. I absolutely love this movie. Um, yeah, um, I loved it. I, I think it's I think it's better personally. I think it's better than the first, um, and I think it's top ten in the MCU thus far. Um, so yeah, I loved it a, a, a lot. It was a, another one that like is really difficult to leave off my list, um, especially because I do have I do have a lot of love for Marvel, even though I you know will criticize it. But um, yeah, I loved it too. Good to hear. All right, number four on your list. Number four on my list is um, Killers of the Flower Moon. Uh, I I think it ended up being somewhat similar to how I expected, but I think these performances um, were special to me. So whether that be Lily Gladstone, um, Leonardo DiCaprio, or Robert De Niro, I think I just felt like I was seeing something relatively new. Um, Leo is the most just despicable I think he could possibly get Um, you know his character is very much just the most like simple minded um, selfish individual you could ever imagine and I think we're we're so used to liking him at least normally a a good amount he's a likable he plays a likable character at least Um, and he was just so despicable and I think seeing the way he was kind of manipulated and used by Robert De Niro, like Robert De Niro is just, you know, Leo might be dumb and I would say definitely an awful person, but De Niro is like evil personified in this. Uh, And the type of evil that like, you know, acts like your friend and speaks your language and, you know, it just the ultimate wolf in sheep's clothing. Um, And the performance was nuts. Um, (coughs) And the way he was, so many little things like the way he was shot there's so many shots where he's almost made to look even smaller than he is and leo looks huge and like he just looks like he's pretty he portrays himself as this small little old guy who's like harmless um and i thought it was cool because i think that was a almost a intentional decision just to show how you know harmless he played himself off as um <laughs> really get a sense for the way he was kind of ingrained in the community. Um, And just, you know, it is long, obviously, but the way the story kind of grows and develops, I think was really effective. Um, I've heard, I've talked, I've someone whose opinion I respect um, said they felt like their problem was in the way the deaths of the Osage were kind of breezed by or not focused on. Um, 
And I, to that, say I think that's the point because there was so much. And like, this doesn't even give you a sense of the actual scope of what was happening. Like, this was a huge, like this was a long period of time with way more death than was portrayed in the movie. So like, but these people were not viewed as people. Like, their deaths weren't viewed as meaningful or important or um, anything to really focus on. And I don't think they were focused on or treated as individuals. And I, you're viewing this from the from the um, perspective of, you know, the white man, I guess, who was making the movie. Um, so that's the perspective you get. And I, I don't think that's meant to <coughs> downplay um, any of those individuals that died. I think it's just meant to show you the coldness that was behind the way they were treated. Um and the manipulation. So I really enjoyed it. I think, um, you know, is it perfect? No. Um, but I'm glad. And I, I've talked about this a bit. I love history and I love any time that a director is able to reach into the past, find a story that the average Joe on the street doesn't know about and say, Hey, this happened. And then, you know, is the movie a perfect portrayal of it? Is it, you know, no, but that person, like, you know, anyone can go home and read about it. They can educate themselves. They can dive into it. They might go into other stories that they don't know about and yeah. like, just have a hunger to like educate themselves. And, um, you know, America is a great place, but it's also our history is full of shit like that. That mm -hmm. just people don't talk about. So like, it's real. Um, and I appreciate directors finding those moments to focus on. So that's why it's at my number four. One of the reasons, um, so I obviously I think it's a it's a good film. I think Scorsese is still got it. Um, the Lily Ga Lily Gladstone gives, in my opinion, the best performance of the year. Um, top down performances in this are all just off the charts. Um, I'm going to um, I, I I struggled a little bit with how I felt about this film after seeing it because there was something that was just off with my viewing of the film and uh it was paul schrader the writer director who wrote taxi and um um what, uh let's see he wrote something else for scorsese um raging bull right yeah. and schrader's writing is top notch but he said that you know he talked to um to martin and he was like i would preferred um dicaprio to play a, a cop or an fbi agent in it it was hard spending three and a half hours in the company of an idiot and that's kind of how I felt about it, too. And I understand, you know, Scorsese goes on to talk about in the interview why he um, chose to go the way that he did. Um, and there's plenty of white savior films out there, and I think he did, he wanted to kind of stay away from that, obviously, because that's not the completely true story, right? Because the FBI took a, and the government took a long time to actually go out there and investigate this. Um, so it's hard to paint them as heroes when um, they drag their feet along the way. Um, begrudgingly. Begrudgingly, right, yeah. Um, so it's hard to paint in that. So I get that, but it, it is really, really hard to set through this movie. And that was probably the biggest problem for me is dealing with, um, DiCaprio's character just being so 
easily manipulated and dumb. Um, I just had a hard time with it. Um, and that's just my personal enjoyment of the film. Uh, again, all the performances are top notch. Everything you said about De Niro, I think this is one of De, De Niro. I, I thought maybe the Irishman might be his best performance. And this is saying a lot. I mean, obviously the dude has been in a ton of films. Um, I thought the Irishman, I thought was like, this is wow. How could he do better than this? But this, you're right. The subtleness, there is a difference in evil between somebody just being, you know, obnoxiously racist and, uh, you know, being, uh, uh, you know, outwardly racist. There is something extremely evil about really not even, it's not even that he's racist or even care. It's just, he has so little regard for human life. Um, and, and to propel himself forward and to, to be this figure of, um, uh, just uh, obtaining wealth and power that he doesn't care who he hurts, whether it is somebody maybe that he does care about. He doesn't care, you know, he will, whether it's family, friend, neighbor, it doesn't matter. He is so obsessed with getting what's, what's his or what he feels deserves. It is maniacal. I, I mean, it's on the level of a Hitler, right? It's, it's on that level of evilness. Um, just to, doesn't matter. He will destroy everything in his path to get what he thinks is his or that he wants. Um, and I think he, you're right. He, he played th that, that character is so nuanced, uh, in so many ways, um, where he can be shaking your hand, kissing your cheek and stabbing you in the back. So overall great choice. Um, but yeah, those are, that's my thoughts on killers. Any, any other thoughts? The last thing I will say is just like, yeah, and I, I feel like the best way to describe him is just like, it's a, he's a sociopath um, through and through. 100%. And I think it's just, you know, as someone who loves history and all that, like, as I was watching it, I was thinking back through so many people and I was just thinking like, whenever you see a Leonardo DiCaprio in that movie, look for the <laughs> De Niro because they're always there. Yeah. Uh, and the idiot that's being thrown in your face is um, not normally the one that is most concerning right um, well that's just something to you know think about yeah this movie um i don't know if you've seen mississippi burning um i can a long time ago yeah i compared yeah. this movie to that in a lot of ways and that um people you know willem dafoe and um gene uh hackman come in as fbi agents i think there's a lot of similarities between that story and the way that that movie was told versus this one and again i think that there's a way to meet those films in the middle and it may have been more, in my opinion, viewing it from Lily Gladstone's character a little, a little more. But that's just me again. Um, yeah, yeah. All I right, let's go. So we are on number four, right? My number yeah, four is May December. Uh, it's already on your list. Was it number eight? I think nine. 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 Yeah. Uh, so give me your thoughts on May December, and then I'll give my thoughts. So this is one that I feel like. I might have some of the the most to say just because it's a, it's difficult to approach. Um, I think when I watched it, I my gut feeling was this is so close to being uh, hypocritical <laughs> because um, obviously this is based on the, the life of a real person or two real people. Um, Natalie Portman's character is obviously the you know creation that the movie is centered around. Um, and she is what makes it different, but um, that is something that you obviously have to be aware of. And, you know, this is also, you know, the reality of many other people that have gone through stuff like this. So that aren't, you know, don't have their stories. Their stories aren't famous, but it's just real. So um, I think I was concerned about it being hypocritical, but it's because it's just so scathing in the way that it demolishes like Natalie Portman as a person. 
um, the way she and that perform like she's one of the best in a long time mm-hmm. um, actors working. So um, just another example of that. But um, just you know, and you talk, we just talked about a sociopath. Like she's a sociopath in her own right. Like mm-hmm. it's just all about her and the career and the performance and like. They take these awful emotional stories and you turn it into an, an Oscar winning performance. And the person who, you know, whose story you're telling their life isn't any better, but you're, you know, richer and more prestigious and whatever. So, um, and <coughs> what I did like was that the movie chose to focus on Charles Belton's character. Um, Joe, I think Joe is his yeah. name. Um, more and more as it goes and he yes. kind of gets his voice and he kind of gets to say like express himself and ask questions about like you know what like what actually happened because like you know here i love that the movie picks up like so far in the future and it's like you don't often see that where it's like everything has like worked out and i obviously in saying that in quotation like marks but um you know their life is settled in and it's just like it's very bizarre, but to them, they're just acting like they're just, it's just everyday life. And the community is, accepts them, whatever. Like, but it's, you still feel like that kind of dread around it. Um, but he starts opening up more and more. You get more focus on him. And it's not so much about Julianne Moore and mm-hmm. Natalie Portman, which is good. But then, <laughs> like last week, you know, um, the guy who the movie's actually based about comes out and says, yeah, I don't, I don't like this at all. Basically, they didn't consult me, like, and that's, like, that just makes it that makes it difficult to me, um, and that almost pushes it more towards that hypocrisy, uh, and I think it's a shame. But it's, you know, this might be playing devil's advocate a little bit, but I don't know what his perspective looks like. Like, I think that mm-hmm. has to be incredibly right. painful. But, like, is some part of him jaded or skewed to the fact that, like, like I don't know. It's really, like, I almost don't even want to try to talk about it. But it's, sure. like, should it still be told? Like, should this story still be told even if it makes him, even if he doesn't like it? Like, it's difficult. So um, I'd love to hear what you have to say about that. Yeah, you make, you make a good point because um, it's, it's really hard um, – because this is, I mean, I, you could have told this story in a nuanced way where you didn't. Todd Haynes admits, like, yeah, I, this is basically the Mary Kay Letourneau. Um, I don't really know how to say. I'm terrible at pronouncing names. Uh, Vili F- F- Fulau um, yeah. uh, s- story, right? And it's it's hard because I, you 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 want to. Um, you want to look at this story from a different perspective. And that's what Todd Haynes did, right? Because we don't see a lot of, of male um, sexual abuse victims on screen, right? We don't, their stories aren't told. And if they are told, it's generally male on male, right? We very see it. We very rarely see it from this, um, an older female taking advantage of a younger male. And I think that's because of uh, cultural stigma, but also um, what we, the way we view, um, uh, sexual assault in general in this country, right? Again, not to get too far into this discussion, but I really, I thought it would have benefited more if it wasn't so 
close to that story, right? Um, and it, 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 he, him saying like, yeah, I pulled from this um, because there, this story was meaningful. It, it does. I know there's no doubt to me that someone um, watched this and uh, experienced something similar to it and felt some kind of catharsis and healing from this because I do feel like that main character does um, get some resolve at the end of the day, right? He, um, you start to realize that from the conversations with his son on the roof and um, with his father on the on a porch just smoking cigarettes, right? Like they, those conversations, those are some of the most important moments of the movie, in my opinion, um, where he he's been this object in his entire life and this is a chance for him to get to be himself so i do i definitely see the hypocrisy in what you're what you're talking about and it's frustrating and i feel like there was a way to make this film um where um you can just be general right you don't have to be so specific to this one case um because again let's look at this uh vili fulao is a human being right i mean he has emotions and feelings and hurt and um you know his wife mary kayla turno she passed away a few years ago she's no longer alive so she is no longer even a part of this right so to me i think you're you're 100 right and it it does kind of um hurt this film uh for a lot of the year this was the number two on my list um because the performances are so powerful it's something i'd never really seen on screen before uh the story being told this way and uh, allowing um charles melton just this coming from a background character to a side character to almost the lead uh in this movie was um, unique um but yeah um yeah anything else yeah no i you know and I will say, like, in his in his real life, he also, like, he did have a moment of realization as he was older where he decided, no, what happened was wrong, and he left her. And that's what happened. Right. So I'm, I'm glad that that actually, that he came to that in real life. Um, it's, everything about it sucks. And it's it's almost impossible, I think, to make a movie about it that isn't going to be at least in some way mildly problematic but it's better i guess to talk about things and get shit out there than not. right so yeah. um <clears throat> yeah interesting and we'll remember this movie yeah um, which absolutely. is something you can say about a lot of stuff this <laughs> right. Year, so. right all right number three on your list um number three on my list is uh poor things which was number eight uh, on my list so uh yeah what are your thoughts poor things excuse I'm I'm wrong. I have this flipped. It's it's Oppenheimer. Um, oh, number three is Oppenheimer. Okay, go ahead. Let's talk about Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer yeah. So, yeah, I I think this is Christopher Nolan's best movie mm. by a huge, huge, huge margin. Um, I'm a big fan of Killian Murphy. I kind of always have been. Um, I just think he was made to play this role in a way. Um, I think I agree with you. I, I don't think Christopher Nolan's like the goat. I don't think he's a top 10 all time director. Probably like, I think he's very, he's good at doing some particular things. Mm. He, his movies are in the same general lane. Um, and I think he's pretty good at that and he knows what he does. Well, um, dialogue a lot of times is not great. Women, a lot of times are not great. Um, Emotion. What did you say? He often lacks emotion in his character writing. Yes. Cold, um, cold, cold movies. Uh, <clears throat> and I think that was perfect 
for Oppenheimer because the dude is uh, crazy to an extent. Um, I think he's a obviously like a narcissist. Um, and I think I just stitched a video of someone talking about how this was praising him and pro government propaganda. And like, mm. come on now, like this movie not only I think vilifies the military, Truman, the government as an entity, um, shows Oppenheimer as someone, I, I have said this a lot, but motivated by narcissism, scientific curiosity, like literal curiosity, um, and then also a sense of duty, like he had a job to do, which he did, um, to be real. Um, and if he did not do this, someone else would have. So, again, to be real. Um, I just found him to be incredibly interesting, and I think his story um, has so much to it. I think the last hour of this movie with um, everything with Strauss could have been, I would say should have been another movie. I don't know who the hell would have gone to see that. Probably not nearly as many people. <laughs> I would have been there. But uh, I don't know about the congressional hearing uh, epic uh, market, but um, I would have watched it. But <clears throat> with that being said, I still enjoyed the way it wrapped up the story. And like his um, the witch hunt that surrounded him and his crucifixion by the government essentially uh, was real and it's deserved to be talked about. And without that, yes, the movie would feel kind of strange because mm-hmm. um, he was a tool. Absolutely. That got you. He like, was he brilliant? Yeah. Um, was he flawed? Yeah. He was a tool though that got used. And then I think he started kind of realizing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I think there's a lot more to this movie and a lot more emotion than Nolan tends to allow. But even though it is still in kind of a cold light, um, it is there. Emily Blunt uh, again, like I saw someone saying Emily Blunt's just there to like be his like cheerleader. Basically, that's not the case. She is like I think very gets very fed up with him and his self pity and his martyrdom and basically tells him to sack up. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, you know, because he, he acts like a little kid a lot of the time. And he did it in his personal life with, you know, mm-hmm. the cheating on his, his wife and all and how that went. Um, and he did it, you know, in his professional life. So I think she keeps it very real with him. I think it shows how much she struggled um, there and just feeling isolated and depressed and, you know, drinking and all that. Like, I feel like you got a pretty good, a really good performance from Emily Blunt. And I think it was... A, more than just you know you're the best robert good Mm -hmm. job like that's not what it was at all so like um and i admit that he has done a terrible job writing women over and over again so you know i can see both sides of that um but yeah i just and i think there's like a lot of um divisiveness around this movie because a lot of people feel very strongly about nolan one way or the other and a lot of people feel very strongly about Oppenheimer and the bomb mm-hmm. one way or another. Like I've got like in my opinion, if we had not nuked Japan, uh something way more awful would have happened. Um and we were bombing Japan with fire we were firebombing Japan for a long time. We firebombed Tokyo twice. We killed like two hundred and twenty five thousand people. Um, but no one talks about that because and Hiroshima and Nagasaki would have been firebombed before we invaded Japan. So like again, it, it's all awful. It all sucks. It's just like we were just talking about May December. It's all bad. 
there's mm. there's no you know it's lesser of two evils and to just you know throw away the movie because oh he was a bad guy he made a bad bot like it's just not that that's not real life that's not war like right. that's not reality so it's just i've seen a lot of takes about it that i don't quite um comprehend but um yeah to me it was really really good so i'm just gonna make my thoughts <clears throat> brief because i think it was a uh, it's an excellent movie. I think I gave it eight out of ten, maybe seven and a half out of ten. It didn't make my top ten. I'm because I and I'm going to be a hypocrite here in about uh, five minutes. I'm not a fan of of, of biopics, and I think the first um, probably third of this movie was hard for me to sit through. Um, I actually really liked the last act. Um, that's just me because I'm I'm a history nerd as well. Um, so I really enjoyed uh, the, kind of the path it took. I also felt like um, I expected Nolan's. I expected the creation of the bomb and like the detonation to be more visually stimulating. Just to be honest with you, I expected more from that IMAX experience. I kind of build it up in my head uh, to be, because, you know, thinking about what he did in movies like Dunkirk, um, which is, I think Nolan at his best uh, in terms of technical direction. That is Nolan at his best is Dunkirk. Um, I don't think it's necessarily his best movie. I like Dunkirk, but my point is he is really good at a specific thing in terms of technically directing films and getting, um, um, uh, oh my gosh, my mind just went completely blank. Practical effects at using practical effects, using the camera in, in different ways. I think he's really good at using the camera, but so that I think partly, uh, my expectations of the film, um, and what I thought was going to be really, no pun intended, blow me away. It really didn't. Um, um, but I think you're right. I think this is probably his best written film in a long time. Um, and um, yeah, the, they're just were just pieces of it that I didn't completely love. And it's a long movie, honestly. Um, I'm not one to complain about runtime, but this isn't a movie I'll probably ever watch again, just to be frank. Um, so yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> And so I say all those things bad about biopics because honestly, a biopic is probably like my least. I will actively avoid some biopic movies because that formula, I just don't like it. And here I have at number three on my list, Iron Claw, um, which just completely melted me inside out. Um, I I wouldn't say that I'm a wrestling fan now. I, I've spent a a good portion of my younger years watching wrestling. I was a big WCW fan in the nineties. Um, loved, love watching wrestling as I got older, just like many people do. I kind of aged out of wrestling, but I was familiar with, um, the Von Erichs growing up. And so this story, I kind of knew tangentially that they had experienced a, a good amount of tragedy. Um, so I wasn't completely caught off guard watching the film. And honestly, the film doesn't even cover, all of the tragedy that they experienced um, completely. But um, I felt that the way that this Sean Durkin to me is a a hugely underrated director. Um, I think the way that he crafted this film is very similar to the way he did um, Martha Mary Marlene in that um, this is very much a cult, right? This man has built his family. He is, uh, worshipped by his sons, he they do whatever he says um, until the pressure becomes too much. And I just felt the way that this film was shot, the way that it was built, um, the music. I'll tell you what, the first scene that really got to me, and I just am going to tear up talking about it um, because I have a son. The moment 
the movie cuts and Zac Efron's character is at the bus stop waiting for his kids to get off. I don't know why, man, that just hit me because it's like that's the moment he became a father rather than a son. And so I just thought it was beautiful. I agree very much. And I would say um, one of the things I loved about the movie is I think there's so many times now where there's a a lot of movies are (coughs) really dark, really heavy. Um, really difficult to get through. And I think a lot of times that happens and it almost feels like it's for the sake of the darkness itself. And I feel like this, like his kids are the hope in the movie and the way it, and like the hope is that, and this is applies to anyone in any walk of life. Like the hope is that you're going to do better than your parents did. Yes. No spite to any of our parents love them, but like, right. Everyone's parents have flaws and you don't want to repeat those flaws. Like you want to take the, the best parts of them. You know, his dad helped them work hard. He gave them focus, like all that. But then, you know, was all the hyper masculinity. Oh, I like you the best you next, like this and that, like pitting them against each other. Like, was that good? Obviously not. Like, and he obviously had his own issues from his own failures in his life that he never processed or got over. And he thinks the world you know, still owes him something. So he's living vicariously through his sons. And there's tons of parents like that. I grew up playing sports. I've seen that mm-hmm. over and over and over yep. again. There's psychos. Um, so yeah, I, you know, I, I found it to be, despite the tragedy, a hopeful story. And that balance is special to me. Um, and that's why I loved it. We haven't talked a lot about scores either. And I think this is one of my favorite scores of the year. Um, I think Oppenheimer actually was a really good score as well, but this this one too um, is up there for me. Um, <clears throat> and the music in general, I thought really hit this this film um, good. Yeah, and it, it needed that. I think. Yes, I agree. Um, all right, number two on your list. Number two on my list is Poor Things, um, and I you know I I flip those in my head because I honestly think, you know. Uh, they could flip and I would, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't, you know, it, it was a, almost a coin flip for me, but I, I love poor things. I think where it got the edges and this is stupid and selfish to say, but like that was my most anticipated of the year. And like, mm-hmm. I built it up so much in my head and then I saw it and I was like, yep, like <laughs> this was it. Like, this was so good for me. Um, and I think a lot of it's like really um, personal preference for me. Like I, with comedy, um, I think there's very particular things I find funny. I think I'm a pretty like dry person and like your sense of humor to me is like hilarious. Um, <coughs> it was a movie I went and saw by myself and I was laughing like the whole time. Like I thought it was hilarious. I thought it was like very joyful, even though it's, again, it's dark thematically. Like when you really think about it, it's, it's obviously pretty dark, but mm. it doesn't get bogged down in that. It allows it, you know, it focuses on, you know, the more joyful aspects of life um, and even the even the negative stuff, it kind of frames in a funny way. Um, Emma Stone is one of the best actors alive. I just said this about Natalie Portman, but Emma Stone is like, and Willem Dafoe. I think um, Willem Dafoe is like an all-time great, obviously. Um, and Mark Ruffalo, I don't like Mark Ruffalo that much, but he was just hilarious. Like, he was having so much fun. Like he looks, it looked like to me, um, 
he had a lot of freedom. I, I wouldn't be surprised there was a lot of improv mm-hmm. um, in terms of like just little quips and like physical humor. Like it's just, and his chemistry with Emma Stone in terms of like comedic chemistry was amazing. Um, and they just played off each other so well. Gerard Carmichael um, was really, I, I liked his role too. That was funny uh, as kind of like a, this like cynical, you know, different kind of philosophical point of view to like, we all meet that that person that mm-hmm. just makes like challenges everything about how we think, um, and like just, I mean the the performance from Emma Stone like, the physicality of that is its, its own thing. Like just the physicality of okay, I'm an infant in the a full grown person's body. This is how I would move, and then I then I progress slowly. And like the physical and the mental progress so slowly and, and it's so i think that that is so well paced and like you feel like it's real development it's not yeah. like a, a flip of the coin like i kept waiting for it to be like oh she's just like you know talking like herself and like they would just like get to that and then it's just emma stone like you really don't see that until like <coughs> almost the very end yeah um which was amazing and that just takes a lot of patience um willem defoe it's like a great nuanced performance like he's He's not evil. He's not just like benevolent. He's flawed, just like any person would be. Some um, Oppenheimer in him, like honestly. <laughs> yeah, just like kind of really selfish genius who just is, you know, molding the world to his how he thinks it should be. And um, curious, he's very curious. He's a curious scientist. Yeah. Yes, yes, um, and doing something that we might consider an atrocity out of scientific curiosity so yeah it's a really good point um but yeah his performance i really like like he does i think he does genuinely care about her but he's also very much the product of his own trauma and his own relationship with his father who experiments on him and treats him like you know an experiment so that's what he knows and what he transfers on um and uh yeah i just you know i feel like this movie had a lot to say for like all the men in this movie are basically cartoon characters like they're all pretty ridiculous and and very much in their own way and unique ways and you kind of see like the worst parts of um you know men and also i mean you you, she does get you know you could argue kind of taken advantage of by a woman as well um like with her employer but like that's also different it's so yeah i think you just see like kind of her naiveness like explored and exposed throughout the course of the film to the point where she kind of sees the world for how it is and is able to like navigate everything. And then, you know, her getting to deal with the situation with her husband at the end. So well, like it was just satisfying to see, cause that's kind of like the culmination of her development and being able to like take care of herself mm-hmm. and no one's, you know, doing it for her. So I loved it. Um, I could talk about it forever, but it's, uh, it was really good. For I think this is a film that probably will move up on my list. I saw it last night, very late. And so okay. I I don't know that I came to terms completely with this film, and it's good to hear you talk about it because I'm still, I think, coming to terms with it. And I think it'll probably move up my list as time goes on when I watch it again and I get to fully <clears throat> maybe, like I said, come to terms with how I feel about it. If you, a lot of what you say I completely agree with. Um, the only one thing I'll add is I really loved uh, Christopher Abbott's performance um, when he comes into – because, I mean, it's a short, but it, the turn in that is so fast – uh, you're not really sure what to expect, and then it flips it on its head really, really quickly. Um, I think this is uh, Lanthimos' probably best film, without question. Um, it's definitely his most enjoyable. 
I love the script. I think the script is this. I mean, the next two films for me, it's going to be hard. But this is up there with one of the the best scripts of the year. Um, it's fun. It's inventive. It's different. It's hilarious, like you mentioned. Um, just unexpected humor turns like and Mark Ruffalo again. The, this, there's a scene where he's outside her window. Uh, I don't want to get too deep into spoilers, but just hilarious. Absolutely. Like, I wish I could have paused it because I was laughing so hard. Um, just yeah, a very fun. Um, but at the same time, um, it says a lot. It's doing a lot. There's a lot happening in this movie. Um, and uh, yeah, just yeah, great I, choice. I just, I also just totally agree with you in terms of like, this is the most like, it's not fully pleasant but his most enjoyable was like the other everything everything else he's made is like there's moments where it's like man this is you know it's might be funny but like damn this is yeah. difficult so, right yeah definitely enjoyable all right that is your number two number two on my list is number 10 on your list i think uh dream scenario um wow. okay. i really love this movie um i watched it twice i watched it and then i watched it again um, because, and I'm, you mentioned that you're a Nick Cage guy when you started to talk about this film in the very beginning. I'm not very much a Nick Cage guy, but I've slowly come around. Uh, Pig was, I think, number three or two or three on my list the year it came out. Um, I really liked Massive Talent, um, probably more than most people. Um, you, I think you just recently talked about Willy's Wonderland. Um, that was an infamous episode on of this because um, my co-hosts at the time hated it. I loved it. I actually forced them to <laughs> to to review it because I enjoyed it so much. Um, I his the early um, Nick Cage. I don't think was for me. Um, uh, but this version of Nick Cage, maybe I've grown, maybe he's grown, maybe we've grown together. I don't know. But this performance w- was amazing. I, this movie, to me, is the most um, relevant film, I think, in terms of society, um, in terms of uh, pop culture. And um, I just want to speak about some things real quickly because I don't think I've heard too many people talk about this. Everyone talks about this being about you know going viral or... Uh, Internet fame, TikTok, YouTube, those things. But I also will relay this uh, to what I call, you know, big fish, small pond syndrome. Because um, whether it's your pastor of your church, a leader of your local government, I think a lot of times we put human beings on pedestals and we um, think that, you know, because of the position that they hold in our life or in our community or in our social construct, this could even go as far as like a family member that you hold up. We're all humans. We're all going to fail. And I think a lot of times we unharshly judge humans based on um, their biggest mistakes rather than how they conduct their lives. And I think that this really puts them, uh, uh, a a spotlight on what that means, that you know we're all human. We need to give each other a little bit of leeway, especially in our personal relationships. And um, uh, everything that the worst thing that you do in life, if someone held a light to that, um, is not going to look good, right? And if we could see your inner thoughts from day to day, it's not going to be good. So I think it's important to care about each other, put our arms around each other, and help each other when we do make these mistakes. And if you're truly remorseful or if you're truly um, uh, want to make a change, um, then, you know, forgive uh that doesn't mean that you give someone the same spot that they previously had in your life um so maybe i'm buying into too much about this film but it really had an effect on me i really loved the performance i thought it was a a great script and a great performance 
Yeah, I agree. And I agree with what you're saying. Um, and I, one thing I find, I don't know if it's just like right now at this point in my life, but I feel like I find myself gravitating towards movies that um, don't spoon feed you exactly how to feel or the answer. Um, and I think it's, it's really, it's a fun movie because you see this guy, um, he's so flawed. He's very flawed. Yeah, he's not yeah. necessarily even likable. <laughs> Um, but right. is he, he's not evil. He's just kind of like bumbling and just kind of like a little bit narcissistic and like talks down to people. But like the way he gets treated at the end, like is still not justified right. by him even at his worst. Um, so I think, it, you know, at one point it's kind of like commenting on cancel culture, um, obviously, and how extreme that could be. But at the same time, it's saying, but yeah, like this guy isn't really that great either. And you kind of do, you know, not everyone is built to like handle that much attention. And I think sometimes that can kind of amplify the worst parts of you. Yes. Um, so it's an interesting, it's, it's, it, again, I don't think it's like, you know, an anti, just like straight up anti cancel culture movie or just like a, um, you know, on the other side of the coin, it's, it's kind of showing you both sides and saying like, there's more nuance to yeah. most things than, <clears throat> you know, a lot of people realize. And like, this is a whole other conversation, but everything today is like the best or the worst, yeah. completely right, completely wrong, you know, Democrat, Republican, right. you know, this religion, that really, it's just like, and it, where there's no, there's no wiggle room with anything. So I like when movies are willing to like take a breath and say, the answer is somewhere here in the middle. Like, think about it and look for it because it's there. Um, and everything doesn't have to be so emotional and just polarized. So, yeah, that's that's a whole other conversation, like I said. But um, And that does relate to movies, though, as well. Yeah, yeah. Everything's the best thing in the world, the worst thing in the world. And it's like, <laughs> and then I watch it and it's like, well, that was, you know, somewhere in the middle. Like, I don't know. So, right. People are like, oh, my God, you didn't have this movie on your top ten. It's like. Yeah, but I didn't say it was bad. I just it wasn't my favorite. Yeah. It doesn't mean it's yeah. terrible. Oh, there's a level of enjoyment for everything. It's like you, you know, like you're going on a roller coaster. I like this roller coaster. You like that roller coaster. Hey, we enjoy the we enjoy what we enjoy. And that's kind of what we talked about off off here too. Is like I I, I I there are movies that I like and I enjoy and I require that I know are bad movies or I know that you're not gonna like them. But guess what? There are movies that you love that I hate. So. Just enjoy what you enjoy, uh, but at the same time, yeah. I, real quick, uh, and then we can move on to your number one movie because I'm really interested to talk to you about both of our number ones. But I, um, I really am looking forward to um, now whatever Nick Cage does next. I'm yeah. there with him. That's where I'm at with Nick Cage right now. I, I think I think he just came out and said he's kind of wrapping up his career. Oh, um, of course, which I just, yeah. But <clears throat> I think he wants to move into television and stuff like that hmm. i think that's what i read so um yeah and, and and just to quickly not to circle back but like to talk about what you were saying about how you feel like recently more recently you're more interested like there literally was a period where he was bankrupt and people were just giving him stuff and he was taking anything mm -hmm. and like i think he made so many of those that people got this like kind of flawed interpretation of him and then i think he got to a point in his life where stuff settled back down and he was stable and he was like okay like i'm not a joke 
I want to make stuff that people will look back and remember like that was really good and that's what he's doing over and over again um and I just made it because he just turned 60 the other day and I made that video because I talked about um Willie's Wonderland and Pig in the same video mm-hmm. like two kind of like very different sides of a coin for him but two good like you know you get the fun dumb Nick Cage he's not saying a word and just being goofy and then you get <laughs> Pig which is like a really quiet subtle thoughtful movie um so yeah, he, I, he's great, uh, and hopefully, whatever he does next, I'll be tuned in. Same, same. All right, drum roll. Your number one film of twenty twenty three is. Uh, it's Anatomy of a Fall, um, and I watched. This was one of the last ones I watched towards the end of the year um, before I made my list, and it just blew me away. Um, it's French. It's a French courtroom drama. You can watch it on. Um, rented on Amazon Prime um, basically just kind of follow a woman and her son her husband uh, falls from the third story of their home you don't know if he was pushed if he fell if he um, threw himself out you don't really know the son basically finds the body he's mostly blind and you go from there um, and it's another movie like I kind of just talked about where it's not going to spoon feed you it's not oh here's what happened and what and the big reveal at the end it's just like this is life like you don't know what happened. Um, you're allowed as an audience member to make your own determination based off the evidence you see. Um, and you see a lot of different perspectives um, throughout the film that are biased and kind of have their own motivations and this and that about, you know, this woman, her husband, their relationship, everything is peeled back. Everything is on display. Um <clears throat> You know, it's, I like the title as Anatomy of a Fall because it's like the whole thing is very scientific. Um, it's not emotional, really, um, in terms of how it's being investigated. It's just these are the facts. You know, what do we find? You see the investigation laid out. You see everything in the courtroom laid out. Um, the dialogue is, I think, the best of the year. Um, Justine Trier, I think, is the director's name. And she, um, I've seen her talking about how she feels that she her strong suit is dialogue and she struggles with um kind of stringing together the story maybe um and that's like she openly talks about that but i agree like the dialogue is so sharp um it's obviously and also it's it's subtitled a lot of it in french in english from french but the movie uses language in a very interesting way because you have a german woman um with a french man <laughs> and they talk about how neither of them will learn become fluent in the other's language so they speak english as a middle ground and like that's just kind of an interesting microcosm of their relationship um and it i the movie has a lot to say about language itself and like the importance Mm. of it and how you raise your kids um she has someone that has to come live with her and they she has to speak in french because the person has to know what she's saying to her son so she's not like swaying his you know opinions about his testimony Mm. like it has a lot to say about language in general i think is so cool it, it flows back and forth between French and English. Um, it's just really interesting. There's, you know, there's some very dark, darkly funny moments, I would say. Some, like, real dark comedy here going on. Um, and there's two songs that... Songs, but pieces of music that are um, consistent throughout the, mo- the movie. There's um, the kids learning to play a piece from uh, Chopin uh, that kind of plays throughout and throughout the movie it's just like um it's one of his preludes i forget which one but like it's incredibly sad and somber and like 
I think so much of this movie is like he gets forgotten mm-hmm. and like yeah he is the person that's truly suffering in this movie and like even at the end he gives his testimony and like the whole time there's been so much media attention and people like vultures around and he's speaking there's like two people there nobody cares about what he has to say or how he is doing because his family is just being like put on display all the dirty laundry is out he's hearing stuff he doesn't know about you know their how bad their relationship was and it's just you know that piece of music um is so sad and somber and it's famous for that so like i just thought that was a cool you know tie in um and then you have like the the song that was playing when um at the beginning of the movie when the death happens which is this like funny um take on a 50 cents pimp mm-hmm. but it's like uh um i'm not gonna think of the word for it. it's like a reggae yeah steel drums kind of yeah steel drum yeah steel drum mix it's like it's it's really good it's cool but um just those two pieces kind of tie throughout the whole movie and it's just you know another interesting aspect um it's just unique it makes you think doesn't feed you the answers um and I liked it a lot, so that's my number one. Um, it was number nine on my list. Again, this is a movie I saw Tuesday. I've seen a lot of movies this week. Um, I think this is a movie I'll watch again, um, and it may go up my list. Um, I agree with everything you said. I There's two things I want to focus on that you talked about because I think it's um, the, the, what probably stood out the most to me, and that is um, the conversations between Sandra Huller and her husband, who Samuel Thies, is that right? I think is who he played. But so, um, I I kept I watching it afterwards. I kept thinking to myself, this is what I wanted Marriage Story to be, um, a movie that I didn't care for um, at all. And I, that the 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 fight where they're talking, like you mentioned about language and they're, the rearing of their son and you know homeschooling and all this stuff. That felt you know I have a four year old son. Um, I don't want to. I don't want to sound like me and my wife fight all the time, but like I've really appreciated that conversation um, because even though it devolves into to, uh, violence or uh, perceived violence, um, it's it's cut the way the film is cut. We only hear audio at the last part, um, but um, these are that, that's a, how a real um, I don't know, argument happens in a relationship. These are it was very realistic to me, right? Um, and I just I appreciated that conversation so much because as uh, someone who's a parent and married and uh, in a relationship, I just I saw, I could I could relate to both sides of that argument so so much, and it was so real and it was so earnest. And this movie is very earnest. That's what I will say about it. Is and you're right. It doesn't really. Um, try to spoon feed you the answers or give you uh, this is exactly what happened. Um, it's, these are the clues you make your own uh, determination on what happened here. Um, but I thought um, the performance by Milo Machado Grainer, who plays the little boy, Daniel was fantastic. Kids can make or break a film. And I thought he was very, very good in this role. Um, that scene that you're talking about at the end, I think is, it was heartbreaking because he's coming to terms with, how he feels about his mother. He's coming to terms about the death of his father and him, I think truly believing that it was a suicide and putting the puzzle pieces together in his own mind. And, um, yeah, just this movie is very meticulously put together and it's procedural in a lot of ways as well. I talked about, um, 
to catch a killer earlier and how that's a police. This is very much a courtroom drama and um, very much uh, it's, th- there's drama, obviously, but also the proceedings are very straightforward. I, I really I really enjoyed this film as well. Um, again, I think it's probably going to move up my list if I watch it again. Um, and it's definitely worthy of being a number one film of the year. Anything else you want to say about it? Um, I feel like we covered it. I just think, like, like you said, like the drama itself doesn't feel manufactured because it's it's just there from how carefully the story is put together and how good the dialogue is. So it just feels so natural. And um, yeah, I loved it. Definitely, everyone check it out. My number one film of the year is The Holdovers. Um, I had Dream Scenario number one on my list for a long time. Rewatched both films, and the reason I put Holdovers number one is. And this is going to sound a little cheesy, but I think this is a movie I'm going to watch every Christmas. I think it's a movie I'm going to rewatch a lot. And it's because it's so sweet. (laughs) This is a sweet film. It's very endearing. Um, I love the themes of this movie about coming together, differences, putting them aside, different backgrounds. We have, in in my mind, you have three levels of... um, economic status here and we see them all meshing in different ways you know we have the rich spoiled young brat played by dominic dominic sessa who gives a freshman performance unlike any i've seen in in, in recent memory paul giamondi who's kind of on that second tier um he's a uh, you know working class but he's still uh, uh, above divine joy randolph's uh, economic status um and i'm a divine joy randolph stan i the the tv show the idol was blasphemy it was terrible but she was so good on that show it i it made me so excited to see her in anything and those three performances collectively just blew me away and i love the way they care about each other the way that they correct each other and the way they hold each other accountable throughout the film um this doesn't necessarily have a happy ending but there's hope uh you mentioned uh iron claw and how um the kids are the hope at the end um this movie leaves you um, a little bit sad, but a little bit hopeful. And I just, I'm not a huge Alexander Payne fan either. Like I'm kind of like, you know, wishy-washy on his films back and forth, but I absolutely positively loved the holdovers. Um, and I can't, I can't wait to watch it with my wife. And um, it's a funny movie. The script is excellent. Um, it's my number one film of the year. Yeah. I loved it a lot. And um. I feel like, I don't know if you felt this way, but I feel like as it goes, it got a lot stronger. Yes. I think for like the first hour or so, um, I liked it, but I think I was kind of waiting on like it to feel more substantial or like impactful. Um, and then the back half. Um, and this is, I mean, it's not really related, but kind of like I talked about with The Covenant, like as it whittled down to like more a personal story, like it just gets way better. Um, when the other kids were there, like, I was like, all right, this is just kind of a, it felt more like run of the mill. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But the more you got to see, um, you know, the best actors in the movie working, um, I thought it was great. And like you said, I mean, Dominic says that like, that's his first time acting. Like, I don't know how that happens, but, um, (laughs) yeah, whatever he does next will be exciting. Um, and it's nice to see Paul Giamatti just like getting, you know, all the praise and respect, um, he deserves and uh Devin joy randolph like um they were a great trio and i think like <clears throat> kind of what i focused on in my when i talked about it was just you know the holidays aren't perfect for everybody mm-hmm. and i think 
Um, there's, a, there's a lot of people have imperfect holidays in a lot of different ways. Um, and it kind of shows that um, and like gives hope to people who might not have like, you know, plug in holiday here that they wanted um, and says, you know, it's still okay. And you can still try to find ways for it to be um, the best it can be. So um, I really enjoyed that about it. And like you, like you said, it's definitely something we're going to watch again. Um, which is not necessarily the case even for stuff we like this year. Right, uh, right. So, yeah, I loved it a lot. All right, uh, so wrapping up here real quickly, just, just go over what was your favorite performance of the year? If you could single out one performance. Um, I think I would probably say um, Emma Stone and Poor Things. Yes, mine too. I, mine too. Yeah. That was my favorite performance. There was just so much to it. Um. I think it was probably the most work mm-hmm. of anything I saw this year and um, just have a lot of respect. And I, there, Yorgos Defoe and Emma Stone have another movie coming out this year. So uh, it's called Kinds of Kindness mm-hmm. um, or Kind of Kindness, I think. Um, so I'm really excited for that as well. Yeah, I think, um, like I said, I think Lily Gladstone gave probably one, um, um, the best performance. Like, I just feel like that was a very tough performance and she pulled it off. This is a, just the range that Emma Stone goes through, like you mentioned, is just so good. It's my I, my favorite. That's why I think when I watch it again, I think it's going to move higher on my list because she is just a, such a joy to watch on screen. Um, and that script, I just I can't wait to to watch her again in that. Um, all right, and then your most disappointing film of the year. Do you want a second to think? Do you want me to go? Because I already have a film that's. You go first. Yeah, you go first. <laughs> Sorry. I say that as I'm like clearing my throat. So I'm a, I don't know why I was disappointed in this film. I'm, I'm a huge horror fan. You're not into horror that much. You said, or it's a, maybe a blind spot you're trying to open up to, but, uh, and I didn't really like the last scream, but I wanted this scream to be so much better than it was. I absolutely hate these new screams. And, uh, I was, had so much hope building to this. I have lost all faith in humanity with um with scream it's just like i can't i can't this i don't i'm done i'm done i don't want to i don't want any more of these they're not good i can't take it um yeah so scream i guess six was it i maybe that's not good enough for some people of being a disappointing film but i just i love that franchise so much um these last two films have just been dog crap in my, in my opinion um so most disappointing film for me was scream six um I almost I feel like I have two kind of like small tiny angles I can take with this. Uh, okay. One, if I'm going based off word of mouth, uh, it was past lives, mm, and yeah, and that wasn't I mean that wasn't on your list. Um, I I just talked about this, but like five to ten minutes in Korea was not enough for me. I you don't get enough of their backstory. You don't get enough of why they're important to each other. These two people don't know anything about each other. You don't know why they even like each other, what like, things they like about each other. The stuff they talk about is mundane, day-to-day stuff that I would talk about with any of my friends. Like, it just it feels like it wants to be like the before trilogy, but there's nothing being said. Yeah. And like, I feel like they both are kind of... She's like cold, I think bordering on unlikable... He's kind of like 
I just don't really understand what he's doing. Like, why are you immature? New York? Like, yes, very immature. Like, I almost feel yeah. badly, and it just seems like he's putting her in an uncomfortable position. Like, I just, I think the strongest is the strongest. It's at its strongest when it's just as a movie about immigration and the difficulties. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it doesn't show me much good about Korea. Like, it's just like, ah, <laughs> oh, it's just a small place that I had to leave. So, yeah, like, I'm just like, I want to know about like life there like korea south korea is a great country like i want to see more of that um and understand what is difficult about leaving like so i don't know i just didn't do it for me but in terms of my own just like my own easy answer would be rebel moon like Mm. i made a video when uh, that was announced and i was like oh it's this kurosawa star wars mix it's rated r it's gonna be sick and like this and that and it was just like that was the most lifeless thing i've ever watched and there's not even that much to say it's just nothing yeah. So like, that was a waste of my time. Um, so that that would be my answer, but just wanted to give two different kind of angles. No, past lives. I, I I agree with everything you said on both films. Past lives was, uh, I just couldn't connect with the characters. I just didn't connect with their story. And for if you don't connect with that, then you're it's like watching uh, paint dry. So I'm, I'm with you. <laughs> um, all right, yeah. let's end on a high note. What is your most anticipated film of 2024? Uh, if it still comes out in 2024, it's uh, Mickey 17, yeah. uh, Bong, Bong, Bong Joon-ho, um, Robert Pattinson, uh, Tony Collette, I think Mark Ruffalo. Um, there's someone else I'm missing, but yeah, I'm really excited. I am a huge Pattinson fan, huge Bong Joon-ho fan. So, uh, and I've read a, I've read a bit about the the book, um, and it sounds really cool. So, I'm excited to see. Um, the themes they tackle there and kind of, it seems like good dark comedy. Um, it seems like something that's right up my alley. So also excited for that as well. Um, for me, it's the bike riders, Jeff Nichols, new film. I'm yeah. a huge Jeff Nichols fan. Um, <clears throat> this movie was supposed to come out this year, I think. And it was pushed back. Um, yeah. it's, it's all, it got pushed all the way back to the summer, which I think is a weird time for a Jeff Nichols release. Um, but, um, I'm excited for it. Great cast. Austin Butler, Tom Hardy, um, just to name a few. Uh, if you're familiar with Jeff Nichols, he is, in my opinion, one of the best uh, auteurs in the business today. Uh, and this is based, I guess, on a true story of a bike gang um, and how they basically went from being small to um, being uh, in over their heads um, and being a huge criminal gang. So I'm excited to, to see that. Another movie um, that... I, it came out in, um, and you may have seen it. I don't know, but um, Richard Richard Linklater's Hitman. It came out and then it got pushed back in wide release to next year, so or this year. I haven't seen. I know it hit the. Hit, yeah, I'm excited for that one, as well. All right, I think that's going to do it for this episode. Dan, thank you for coming on and doing this with me. It was a pleasure talking to you. I hope to have you on again. Um, if you have free time, we will maybe review yeah. um, some of these movies we talked about in 2024 together. And um, give me some plugs for your shows, for your TikTok, social media, and then uh, we'll, we'll get out of here. Yeah, it's just um, real.takes on uh, in, um, LinkedIn. LinkedIn. Jesus, I'm tired. Give me your LinkedIn. <laughs> it's okay. Whatever you want. Don't look for me on LinkedIn. I'm not on there. <laughs> not doing videos on LinkedIn. Um, on Tumblr? Uh, no. <laughs> on TikTok and uh, Instagram. Um and goodwill podcasting youtube spotify apple podcast um that's it that's all awesome it was great talking to you go ahead uh, no just thanks for having me on um and i would love definitely love to come on again there's always stuff to talk about just let me know um 
happy to talk again. Absolutely. It's a pleasure. Um, again, you can always find me uh, on TikTok at call to pop. That's call with a K uh, on Instagram, midnight film review, and then check out call to pop.com. I will have a, uh, my written top 10 on there as well. And um, don't forget to check out next. Well, I guess it's probably going to be around. This will drop three days before the next episode. Uh, don't forget to check out our true detective uh, podcast. with me. That's going to do it for this episode. We will catch you on the next one.